0: Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and today I am joined by Vicar Hill and Pastor Adel, our third guest pastor. Pastor Adel, welcome to Get Right for Sunday. Good to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. So I'm uh, Pastor Adel from just across town over at Good Shepherd. I am an associate uh, with Michael Walther and... We have a church and a school over there, as well as Holy Cross does. And other than that, I have beautiful wife Rosie, six beautiful children, and keeps us busy.
0: How long have you been at Good Shepherd?
1: I've been there seven and a half years.
0: Okay. Well, today we are going to jump into the text for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost. If you want to listen to the readings, that podcast was dropped yesterday. And there's a lot going on in this text. Um, All the texts, there's something happening, which is kind of silly to say, but we're kind of going to concentrate on the gospel lesson, which will lead us into the epistle, into the Old Testament, or vice versa. And today, we have St. Mark chapter 9, and we have Jesus once again making this great statement He is telling everybody, specifically the disciples, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And I love the next verse. And this makes me feel good about the disciples because it helps me in the simple fact that I don't get everything that the Bible says, and they have Jesus right there telling them the mysteries of the universe and the mysteries of salvation. And then verse 32, but they did not understand the saying. And then the big thing, they were afraid to ask him. While we were working and getting ready for the recording, Vicar Hill, you made a very interesting observation. In the Gospel of Mark— The disciples really haven't been shy about saying, Jesus, we don't get what you're saying. And this is usually in in a kind of a private setting, so they weren't publicly saying, Jesus, I don't get what you're teaching. But they're silent on this. Any idea why?
2: Well, and this is kind of an interesting thing, because typically in in a past podcast, we've actually kind of applauded the disciples for speaking out when they don't really understand uh, so this is a bit of a change in uh, in attitude here, where it says they were afraid to ask, um, and we were kind of discussing that this is kind of showing the progression of um, how do you want to how do you want to put it the seriousness of what's going on, the earnestness of what's going on in Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. This is not just a teaching where he's kind of contradicting the Pharisees or something like that. It's going beyond that, and he's really predicting his own death. And there's maybe some uncertainty with how they're supposed to take that.
0: Yeah. They've been traveling with Jesus, eating, sleeping, listening to him. They've witnessed these miraculous events. And then Jesus says, I'm going to die. And, but don't worry, I will rise again. And I love how the disciples decide to deal with this. They get into an argument. They decide to discuss who is the greatest of them all. And, of course, this is just with the disciples. Pastor Adel, uh, when we were working on on figuring out what we're going to talk about for this, I really liked what you brought out. It wasn't just the fact that they were avoiding the situation, but that they actually took this very serious, and now they're making plans.
1: Yeah, it could be something along those lines. I mean, we see that they don't fully understand it. There's also been, whether whether you want to call it a progression or digression with— I like digression. Jesus uh talking about his upcoming death and resurrection and the first time Peter rebukes him mm-hmm. and in return gets rebuked and so er, obviously that was in front of the t- the 12. Right. Everyone knows that that kind of direct contradiction of Jesus is not going to be taken well. So here it says, you know, they don't understand and were afraid to ask him. They uh they're not uh, they've learned not to re- try and rebuke him, mm-hmm. they still don't understand it. But the, I, I think at this point, because it's come up a couple different times, at least they're they're mulling the idea of what might that mean. Mm-hmm. And maybe if if just for the sake of argument, because I don't believe it's going to happen, just for the sake of argument, if he was gone, what would be next? Right? Who who would be the next to step right. up? And that that might be what they're discussing. I mean, when, the the conversation about who is the greatest could mean a couple different things, but I, I think that's one possible line to take is they're talking about, well, what would happen? Would we want to just give it up? And I don't I don't think any of them want to do that. No. So what would be the next step? And there's, you know, discussions about it here. Elsewhere, <laughs> the mother of James and John asked yeah. about you know, you know that they, they they want it to go. They they've been around Jesus, they like it, they want it to go on. Even if for the sake of argument he was gone, how would it go on? Right?
0: And I like that line of thinking. Uh, it's almost as if the disciples are trying to come up together with a contingency plan, and I. My humble belief, they don't get it, and it's obvious. I mean, they were afraid to ask, and they didn't understand the saying. But the fullness of this, and especially the implication of what Jesus is saying, the whole idea that he has come to claim—he claims to be the Messiah. He is going to redeem Israel. He is God in the flesh. He is going to do all the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, of course, when you think of the conquering Messiah, the one who is going to make right the corruption of all creation, well, you need a strong man. You need a strong God. You need a strong leader. And then he makes the statement, I'm going to die. That doesn't make sense. And I appreciate what you said. You got Peter being rebuked for being reasonable. Jesus, you, you don't win by dying. And then on top of that, they don't understand, they're afraid to ask, and they argue about, well, the movement needs to keep going. Who's going to take the care of this? But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another when Jesus asks, what were you talking about? And I love this, that Jesus frankly calls them out on their plans. So for better or for worse, they're trying to make plans. What happens if Jesus really dies? They absolutely believe in the resurrection, not the immediate resurrection. They're very much like uh, Martha and Mary. Yes, our brother will live again in the resurrection. They're not expecting him to come right back. And Jesus calls them out. If anyone would be first, he must be last. Of all and serve all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And again, calling the disciples out in their discussion, their argument, their line of thinking, I think this is fascinating. And it has such a greater meaning and greater rebuke than. You're talking about the wrong things. Jesus actually puts himself in their discussion. If you want to be great, you got to do this. And this is hard. And I don't particularly like it. I like easy things. I want it uh, tied up in a nice bow. I want Jesus just to tell me everything will work out and be nice. He's going to die for my sins. And I get to live high on the hog and just receive his comfort, his love, and everything will work out. But Jesus doesn't do that. Why doesn't Jesus do that? Isn't that why he has come to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil so we can live the peaceable, nice, pious life? Vicar, you got anything to to add to that?
2: Why? why? Well, I think we're looking at kind of uh, what, what is the measure of greatness? What is the definition of greatness? And if we're thinking about the disciples and maybe thinking about what comes next, if Jesus does go away... And they're trying to figure out this idea of greatness, Mm -hmm. what that looks like. To me, it's kind of they're contemplating an earthly greatness. Um, And we're here, Jesus is breaking it down. It's not about riches or goods. It's about being great, really, in spirit. Um, And and what that looks like is humbling yourself. So really, uh, Jesus is kind of going counter to the idea of greatness that's probably surrounding the disciples, the political greatness, social greatness, uh, like I said, treasures, and he's breaking it down to what really matters, and it's the heart, kind of Mark chapter 7, what defiles a man, the heart. And that's really what I think is going on in part of this, because he's calling them to be servants, Um, and so that's where he kind of moves next in the text.
0: So again, I, I don't. I, I get what you're saying. I don't like it because I don't particularly want to be. A, I want people to serve me, Pastor Ailey, You got something? Yeah, I was gonna say
1: when you're saying a matter of the heart, you're you're correct. It does get at what we want mm-hmm. and what we desire, but we can't take that to mean just what I believe, right? Because he he is actually telling them it's like service, and I don't mean just sitting and thinking nice thoughts about God. <laughs> right? Because the 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 example he gives is he takes a child. He says it is like childcare. It's like raising children. Do you know do, do you remember what that's like? You remember. Oh, I do. You remember? Uh is hard work, right? And all the time. W- all the time it's hard <laughs> work. But I mean, this is just something that is not valued in our society today at all. Or not, I won't say at all, but much. Many people are happy to get beyond that stage of life mm. because it's so hard and because it requires 24-7 care. And, and we just got to make it through. And especially when he talks about taking a, a child, like a little child, you're not just talking about, yeah, check in with me at supper time." you're talking about... I'm the one feeding you, I'm the one clothing you, I'm the one teaching you. He says, that if you, if you want to be great, you must be servant of all. And that looks like raising children, which, as I said, is something that not valued as much as it should be mm-hmm. in our situation. But it also links, I mean, this isn't the epistle for today. It links in with, with what Paul says is... A beautiful demonstration of the love of God in Christ is Christ loving the church as a husband loves his bride, and that that's a family image there. Here we have it tied together with the raising children image. That This is a picture of how God is working and loving and serving us. That's what it looks like. And as we were talking about earlier, when it's laid out that way, do you want to be great? Kind of. <laughs> it's about the best you can say, right? Yep. Kind of I uh I don't want to I know I don't want to be greatest of all. Nope. Right? Yeah. But here, Jesus, as we said, takes takes the greatness conversation and runs with it. You want to be great? I'll show you, I'll tell you how to be great. I that's actually a good goal. Oh, absolutely! We should all want to be great. But when he when he lays it out this way, when he lays it out, it's listen, guys, it's it's not all just riding in a limousine and signing autographs and have people fawn over you all day. That's what we consider great. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, we all think we'd like a shot at that, especially if it comes with dollars attached. Yep. He, I notice he mentions nothing about dollars. Sadly. Uh, or fans, I don't quite get it, but uh, this gets to our desires being off, which is what James talks about.
0: Well, yeah, and I like how you bring that up. This is what greatness looks like. It's work, it's sacrificial, and you're not first. And it comes up multiple
1: times in the Gospels. So there's not a way around it. No. It's not like, well, that's one way of greatness— I got my own thing going on, Jesus. I'll I'll show you. Yeah. I'll show you how I'm going to do it. No. He's told us more than once this is how it's done.
0: Well, and on top of that, though, this is real work, and this is the work of faith. This is the work of trust. This is the work of doing what God has laid before us, and that's not what my heart desires. Yeah, I want greatness— but just give it to me. Don't, don't make me work for it. And, and, and even that's a misnomer because we have the, the gospel. We have salvation. Everything is already taken care of, and we still bulk at the act, action, and work that is set before us that should flow naturally from the love of what God has already completed and done. We are to accept. We are to work. We are to be joyful and our sacrificial life of serving one another. And and as you pointed out, and I I don't know how many times I've done it, and, and dear listener, if you could see me, it's the idea of holding a child and knowing that you have the fullness of their life in your hand, not just to feed them, not just to clothe them, but to care for them, for every aspect at that moment and that second And this is what we've been told to do for everybody. And, uh, again, that's an immense responsibility, and it's not dependent upon you. And we always have to say that. And, again, it's not that you get off the hook. It's not that, oh, just do your best. I always love that saying, you know, God just wants you to do your best. No, God actually commands you to be perfect, to do these things, to to have all this laid out before you. This is to to flow from your now perfected, sanctified heart that's still full of vile, evil desires. And and this becomes an interesting first commandment issue. And I like the idea that um, when God in Christ reveals this, how quickly my mind goes to a contingency plan. What do I have to do? How do I have to work this faith thing? How do I have to show off my piety? What, how much effort do I actually have to put into this to just look good? I don't want to be great. I just want to be
2: good. I think that comes because you really like checklists. I do. You, you I, like I, to I know <laughs> what you need to do.
0: <laughs> exactly. But, but how quickly we go to these things. Yeah. Because they are comfort because who's in control? And we get this self-confidence. Look, I got my checklist. Look, I did these things. God, you want to pat me on the back and tell me how good I am? And what does he do? This is what greatness looks like. And then shows us by becoming the true least of these, going to the cross and dying the death that each and every one of us deserve so that we can live the sacrificial, joyous life of faith. And this doesn't make sense, I, and I, I make no bones about it. It doesn't make sense because I do want the dollars. I do want the fame. I do want it all these— doesn't make
1: sense to sinful hearts.
0: Right. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. my heart wants what my heart wants. Me.
1: It makes perfect sense to me then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody in this
0: room just, But this flows, as you mentioned, right into St. James. I, I, I haven't gotten over the first verse, uh, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Apparently, Pastor Adel. But his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness and wisdom. Again, this meekness and wisdom. And this is the revealed wisdom of faith. The the understanding and trusting God's word is for your life, here and now and forever. Go live like you are redeemed. Go live like you are part of the body of Christ. Go and live in sacrificial life. You want to be great? Jesus has already showed you how to do it. Stop doing, and he continues, uh, verse 15, This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but earthly, uh, unspiritual dynamic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Welcome to my heart. And it is the strife and the tension of knowing the sanctified life, and having the flesh who pulls the other
1: way. I think there's something, too, also. Shows his works in meekness of wisdom. And if you think of meekness or humility, kind of the opposite Mm -hmm. is what he's saying here. It would be pride, arrogance, jealousy, selfish ambition.
0: Have I told you how smart I am?
1: (laughs) You didn't mention it yet, but thank you. Uh, No, this is... I mean, this is the way that greatness goes wrong, mm-hmm. right? If, if it's ambition, if it's out for me, if it's selfish and prideful and arrogant, then that's going at greatness the wrong way. Oh, yeah. And that is, as you said, for show. I want others to know how great I am instead of the meekness of wisdom, the humility that we're all called to... Uh, humility was not a virtue nope. in the ancient world. And for the scriptures to come out and say we should humble ourselves and that Moses was the meekest man, for example, or that Jesus humiliates himself, right? We, we call that that part of his life the humiliation mm-hmm. of Christ, which by, by which we don't mean funny, haha, ha We mean humbling, where he, by his own volition, takes on a lower status and a lower role, and tie it in with what what Jesus said then. I mean, this is kind of, in some sense, the thanklessness of parenting, Yeah, because it's not valued in society, other than you you can check off that you've done it and so you've had that experience, but it is just in the trenches, day-to-day, getting stuff done for your family. It's just not valued at all. Even though Jesus just said that's what greatness looks like, and even though we would say meekness of wisdom in James's phrase, that's kind of what it looks like. Because the things that he, he goes on to list, the wisdom of, from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Uh, the, those things are not valued in the world either. And yet... Those kind of things have to be <laughs> have to be shown to children, right? You need to be peaceable, gentle, and where you're wrong, you need to be open to reason. Yep. Which uh, they might not be able to do when they're two, but by the time they get to be teenagers, they can push back and say, "Hey, this that's not reasonable." And right. if you're wrong, you have to admit it. Yeah. Right? We we have to be open to being corrected, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I mean, as you said, that that is how we have to treat our children, but it's also how we are to treat our neighbors, and that that's hard to do. If you're just doing it in your heart, thinking about it, easily done. Mm-hmm. If Check. you're if you're actually out walking and talking and working with people, it gets much
0: harder. Yeah, and again, I appreciate. Jesus calling out the disciples. And it's not only for their benefit, but it's for our benefit. Because it really is being called to walk the walk and talk the talk. Not just, I have happy, good Jesus thoughts. This is the life that has been given to me. And St. James cuts to the quick on this and really lays it out. And it's the application to our daily life. It's the life of faith. Um, moving into chapter 4, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? It is your sinful nature. It is the lack of trust, lack of faith, or seeking for the greatness that hasn't been given to you by God. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And uh, again, going back to our previous conversation before the recording, um, we're all striving for greatness one way or another. But whose greatness are we going after? And, And I like what you said. When we diverge in our greatness, we're not going to end up in the same place. No. And then we're shocked that good things aren't working out for us, Yeah, that things aren't just happening because, well, I've done this, I've done that. The, the, let it be false piety. Let it be good enough checklist or, well, I tried. Where is your faith? Where are you looking for the hope, love, and salvation? And, and as Jesus called out the disciples, we need to hear that message, especially you know, on Sunday, But then taking that out and living it in service, and I I liked, again, the idea of parenting, Uh, not only being a thankless job, but how often do you do the same thing over and over and over and expect something else to happen? But yet, that sacrificial, you are keeping that child alive, and not just with the bare minimum food, the bare minimum clothing, but so that child will have every opportunity to grow in strength and wisdom and so on and so forth, Mm -hmm. the implications are just huge and almost endless. And this text just breaks it open so much because I appreciate the disciples. Uh, At the very beginning, I wanted to say that they didn't want to deal with it, and they did it by arguing who's greater. And I like the idea that they're actually trying to process what this means. The other thing, too, is
1: that at the home is where desires are shaped, right? Mm. So James gets at this over and over again. We had it, as I mentioned a month ago in like Ephesians 3 or whatever, Paul talks about being corrupted by their, their sinful desires, that if you want other things than what Christ and the scriptures are laying down, right? That's kind of by definition what sin is. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that we all have goals, we all have desires. And as we were talking about earlier, how many of us desire to be great in the way that Christ talks about it? How many of us desire to be pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere?
0: We're always quick to say yes.
1: We we know the right answer, so we'll say it out loud. But, I mean, if you recognize that those aren't your desires,
2: who's in the wrong here? And with that, one of the things, if you sit down and make a list of your desires, (laughs) what makes us great in the eyes of the world, you can't shake the fact that when you're looking at that greatness, it almost always comes down to a life of ease. Whether you have enough stuff, enough money, whatever it is, uh, you know, help with childcare... So that I can stop working. To remove the burdens of life. um, and, And it brings this ease. And then we look at Jesus and what He says make you great makes you great, and it takes work. Yeah, it takes good works that bear fruit for your neighbor, and that is not a life of ease because you have to actually go and do something. (laughs) And it gets at well, why are we here? What
1: is the point of our life? Is our point to get enough money so that we don't have to work? Mm -hmm. I think there's a parable about that somewhere, (laughs) right? Uh, And here he talks about childcare right being fruitful and multiply that has a that goes way back in the scriptures it's somewhere way back maybe genesis that kind of that might be actually what we're to be about and when you're past that age then it is caring for your neighbors or your extended family your grandkids or whatever that uh god desires that he he tells us to be about that That's what greatness looks like. And uh, like you said, when you're writing down goals,
2: is that what you had on your paper? (laughs) And and tying that into our sinful heart, the sinful heart does not want to do work. It it wants that life of luxury, ease. I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. I want to be given things. So it really is kind of contrary to what's going on here. I'm talking about this with a group of pastors
1: a couple months ago. But, I mean, you see in, in the garden, one of the things that's marked out as not good is that he's alone. Mm-hmm. So he gives him a wife, right? Tells him to be fruitful and multiply. Kind of leads into what we are talking about, too. But the other thing that he does, and this is different than the animals, is he gives Adam work to do. That we recognize it's idle hands or the devil's workshop, right? It's not good to just have nothing to do. So even in the garden, Adam had work. That was good for him. He had all the all the different trees that he could eat fruit of, so it was easier maybe in that sense. But God told him he was to tend the garden and keep it. He was to have dominion over the fish, the birds, and the beasts, that God has created us for work. And the
0: that's what we're to be about. And our neighbor is to be the beneficiary of our work. And that's one of the things that I, I love about the the building of Eve. She shows up, so his work now produces for her benefit. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the continuation of the family. What do I do to serve my family? Not in the high and mighty, I'm husband, I'm father, thus says me. I get to be sacrificial in support, love, care. And that's the continuation. And as you said, it's work and it's what we see in Christ as he delivers himself for the freedom. And I love this uh, aspect idea, the freedom to serve, the freedom to act, the freedom to give of yourself to the neighbor, to the family, to the life of the church. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.